a joy to be able to worship together. I want to invite you now to open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Our sermon text today is verses 14 through 16, and I'm going to read that as we begin together this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Paul says this to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Do you get excited about the church? I I certainly do, and I hope you do as well. Church is a community of sinners saved by God's marvelous grace, gathering together to worship the true and living God, to share together the life and joy and hope that God has given to us in Jesus the Christ. And then to grow and change more and more into the people we were created and redeemed to be. And all of this is possible by the person uh, of Jesus Christ, the person of the Holy Spirit who dwells with us and empowers us and comforts us and transforms us. The thing that is most exciting about the church is not programs. It's not man-made activities and mere human socialization. Church is exciting because God is building us together as one people in the person of Jesus Christ, a people where God dwells with us by the Holy Spirit. Let, Let that sink in just for a moment. We are a people in whom God dwells with us by his spirit in a special way. That's why I'm excited about the church. That is why I want you to be excited about the church. That's why the Apostle Paul was excited about the church. This is, in fact, why we should treasure the church. There are two main points that I want to talk about this morning. I want you to remember one is to treasure the church and the second is to treasure the gospel. First, let's talk about this treasuring of the church. Paul says in verses 14 and 15, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So remember that Paul is writing to Timothy. He wants Timothy to stay in Ephesus to protect the church from false teachers. And you will remember that Paul had already spent quite a bit of time with this church there in Ephesus. He loved them dearly. He placed a great value on the church because it was the church of the living God. He He um, recognized that the church is, in fact, God's church. But he left Ephesus 
because a riot was taking place and his life was threatened and his, his fellow believers ushered him out. Uh, he, he and the gospel certainly faced sti- stiff opposition. But what was the issue that was taking place there in Ephesus? Well, Ephesus had been filled with idols. But when Paul preached the gospel, people were converted and they gave up their idols to serve the true and living God. And this meant that people who made their living making idols for others to purchase would most likely go out of business. And so they started this riot to cause problems for Paul and the church. Now, later, we read in Acts chapter 20, when Paul was passing through, he arranged to meet with the Ephesian elders to encourage them. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, Paul says this, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So in that Acts 20 passage, as Paul says goodbye to the Ephesian elders, the elders were told wept because they thought this would be their last time together, the last time that they would see Paul. Paul had to leave, but he directed Timothy to stay and to teach and to lead and protect and care for the church there in Ephesus. Paul cared deeply for the church. And now, sometime later in this letter, Paul says to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon. Now, that would have been a great encouragement to Timothy, but also to the church there in Ephesus. But Paul says, just in case my visit is delayed, I'm writing these things so that you may know how to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. So Paul wanted those in the church to know how to behave as a church. Uh, This word for behave means far more than mere outward behavior. Uh, It has the idea of conduct, or more specifically, conduct that is governed by truth. It's a manner of life guided by the truth. It's a way of life where the knowledge of the truth is turned into right practice. It's really a life built upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Now, isn't that the primary struggle of sinful man? Our our primary struggle? We sinfully think that we know better than God. Uh, When Adam and Eve were in the garden, God gave clear instructions, but Adam ignored those instructions, and he did what he wanted to do. He failed to honor God and listen to God and to obey God. So Paul writes to give clear instruction to the church. He, He taught God's truth, and he appealed to the church to embrace that truth so that the church would know how to live their lives in ways that would honor him. In verse 14, Paul says, I'm writing these things. What things? 
Well, the most immediate conduct, context includes the qualifications of both elders and deacons. So here are leaders and servants in the church who must have lives that set a good example of growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus and living a life built upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. But earlier in chapters 1 and 2, Paul also emphasized the importance of sound doctrine. In particular, Paul said, don't let there be false teachers or false doctrine taught among our, uh, God's people in, in God's church. But he, he goes on, it's not just sound doctrine. Paul all, and also emphasizes the need for genuine love from a pure heart to be expressed and experienced within the church. He also shows how maintaining a good conscience and a sincere faith is vital to the life of the church. He, he goes on to rehearse the glorious gospel that saves the worst of sinners, all for the glory of God's great name. He, in fact, emphasizes the priority of prayer and the priority of the gospel as we live in right relationship with civil authorities. He teaches the leaders of the church to lift holy hands as they lead the church in prayer and worship. He teaches how both men and women should embrace their clearly defined roles within the church. So there are many things that he's already spoken later in chapters 4, 5, and 6. Paul will give a ton more of instruction. But we, we will get to those things in the coming weeks. But notice that he, Paul, is writing these things so that the church of the living God will know how to conduct themselves in right relationship with one another and with him. Notice how Paul refers to the church as the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So as the household of God, Paul is referring to the church as the family of God. And in doing that, he emphasizes the responsibility and the authority of God to lead and care for his church, his family. Earlier in chapter 3, the qualifications of both an elder and a deacon included managing their, old, their own households well. So certainly, God manages his family or his household well. You could say God is the perfect father. God is the perfect parent. God has the authority and the responsibility to lead his family for the sake of his name. But notice, too, that Paul says the household of God is the church of the living God. When Paul speaks of church here, he's referring to an assembly or a group of people that gather together in the name of Jesus. Um, Acts 20, 28 says that the church is that gathering of people whom God the Son has purchased with his own blood. Um, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So we are not a church just because we verbalize the name of Jesus when we are together. When Jesus says we've gathered in his name, it's a way of saying 
that we are gathered, we are a gathering of people who live by faith in his name, as he is revealed to us through the scriptures. We are a people who believe the gospel. We recognize his authority and his lordship over our lives. We are trusting his work accomplished for us in his death, burial, and resurrection. And so what we learn is that when we have gathered in Jesus' name, he promises to be with us. Don't, Don't miss that distinction. It is in the church, the gathering of people in the name of Jesus. It is here that God most clearly reveals himself, more clearly than in any other place on the earth. Jesus taught us that when we love one another, the the simplest thing and the most profound thing, when we love one another, the world will know that we belong to Jesus. We can only truly and genuinely love one another and grow in our love for one another when we're born again and we're justified by faith in Jesus and then we are in the process of being progressively sanctified by Jesus Christ. Church church then is an assembly of people who together find their life and their hope in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it is the church of the living God. (laughs) When Paul says here, living God, he is emphasizing the truth that God is actively and personally present and at work in our midst. God is at work here. Um, A neighborhood boy of ours some time ago when he had visited the church came into our church building. He was like seven or eight and he had these wide eyes and he came into the building, the church building for the first time and he said, "Is, is this where God lives? And it's a great question. And yes, I would say it is where God lives, but it's not the building, it's the people. In the assembly, God lives with us by His Spirit. Do do you feel the weight and the glory of that truth? Do, Do you understand why we must treasure the church? Do you know why we must make church important? Gathering together as a church really is not optional. It's not something we do if we have time for it. We make time for it. We prioritize it. We we do that because we are a gathering of people with God in our midst, with God at work in our midst. Now, sometimes people say, well, I I do church at home. I, I listen to the live stream of the service. And there are certainly times when that is necessary, but it cannot be our regular practice. Church is the assembly of people who live by faith in Jesus, gather together to worship and pray and be built up in Christ. We can't be church alone. We must be in the habit of being together in the name of Jesus. Let me also say that church manifests itself locally. Uh, Now, we know church is universal. There is one church of Jesus Christ globally, but it manifests itself locally. 
Um, if we say I'm a part of the universal church but not part of a local church, I would say you are not part of the church. But it's particularly sweet that this local church can travel to Romania and fellowship with the local church in the Dumuk Valley in northern Romania in the Carpathian Mountains. And we don't speak the same language. We don't live in the same country. Our cultures are different. But when we gather together in the name of Jesus, we share the bond of Christ. What a great joy that really is. Now, Paul says in another important thing here about the church in verse 15. He says, the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, a pillar or a buttress, as a pillar or a, a buttress, the church has a load-bearing or supporting role of the truth. The church holds up the truth that God reveals for all to see. It it certainly makes perfect sense. Christ, uh, the church is an assembly of people redeemed through the gospel. We are a people where God lives by his spirit. And since God is truth, it makes perfect sense that knowing and believing and defending and proclaiming the truth ought to be of utmost importance to us. You understand why Paul told Timothy to stay in Ephesus and command certain men to no longer teach a different or distorted teaching. Truth matters. Church is meant to be a gathering where the truth is upheld for all to see and believe and obey. I say all of this to say to you, treasure the church. But that's not all. Verse 16 also teaches us to treasure the gospel. This really is the heart of the truth that the church is called to hold up. Verse 16 says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Paul is instructing Timothy and through him the church in Ephesus, and in fact to us, to confess or to agree that the mystery of godliness is indeed great. It's something that we should treasure. What is the mystery of godliness? Here in this context, it refers to the entire plan and work of God. It's what he has done through Jesus by the Spirit to save a people who will now live for the praise of his glory. It's a mystery in that it was not previously made known, but has now been made known through the, the person and work of Jesus, and even as Paul continued to make known. It is the gospel. What God has done through Christ is indeed great. But, but now Paul probably quotes a hymn or a portion of, of a hymn that would have been most likely uh, known or understood by those who received this letter, heard this letter. It's a him that really rehearses the gospel message. It begins by saying he was manifested in the flesh. He, being God the Son, was manifested or revealed in the flesh. Earlier, Tim read from John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We celebrate that glorious truth at Christmas. God took on flesh, and 
dwelt among us. Jesus was born of the virgin, being fully God and fully man. Jesus came to make the Father known. Jesus came to die, not for his sin, but for the sin of all those that he came to save. But he was also vindicated by the Spirit. Think about it. Uh, the incarnation is a wonderful truth. The, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But then, but then he died on a cruel Roman cross as a common criminal. Does that mean that everything was lost? What Was the hope of the disciples really dashed to pieces uh, when Jesus died? Well, Jesus did die. He was buried. But in fact, Jesus was raised to life by the Spirit. His life and ministry were vindicated. He was proved right, as Romans 1, 4 says. And he, Jesus, was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then he was seen by angels. We know that angels witnessed and announced the resurrection of Jesus. We know also that angels surrounded the heavenly throne after the ascension of Jesus when he took his seat at the Father's right hand. They certainly joined in the celebration of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And here in this hymn, you too are being called to join in that celebration of this mystery of godliness revealed. And he was and he is proclaimed among the nations. Jesus came for the nations. He came for all people groups on the face of the earth. Paul and Timothy are giving themselves to the proclamation of the gospel to all peoples. And Jesus has called you to be a part of making disciples among all nations. And because of that, he was and is believed on in the world. Not many believed when Noah preached or when Jeremiah preached. Even Jesus himself had a relatively small following. But from those 12 disciples and the apostles, the gospel spread from Jerusalem to, to Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Um, it's amazing when you read through the book of Acts, and Acts tells the story of how this unstoppable gospel spread from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And when you read through Acts, there seems to be setback after setback, problem after problem, imprison, imprisonment, and there's just all sorts of problems. And Paul's even in prison at the end of Acts. And there in the end of Acts, Paul says that the gospel went forth unhindered. <laughs> I love that. The gospel went forth unhindered. He was proclaimed among the nations. He was believed on in the world. And then this hymn ends by saying he was taken up in glory. So the, the greatness of this mystery of godliness now revealed spans Jesus' life here on this earth from the cradle to the cross, even as we have depicted here. Jesus' life on this earth from the cradle to the cross 
displays the greatness of this mystery of godliness. But more than that, the greatness of what God has done through Jesus and by His Spirit to save a people who live for the praise of His glory includes Jesus now in glory at the Father's right hand interceding on our behalf. Jesus will continue to speak to the Father on our behalf as an advocate for us before the Father until the day that He comes again in glory to take us to be with Him forever. You're going to understand why Paul said, great indeed is this mystery of godliness now revealed through the person of Jesus. This morning, you and I have every reason to treasure the church and to treasure the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I began asking this morning, are you excited about the church? (laughs) I... My prayer is that you have seen today in this text reasons to be excited about the church and about God's gospel. Um, This is where God is at work. This is where God is revealing his glory, his beauty for all to see. Treasure the church. Treasure the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, it humbles us to think about your greatness. It humbles us and it causes us to have hearts that overflow with thanksgiving when we think about what we really deserved because of our sin against you, the arrogance of us focused so much on what we want and really having no regard for what you deserve. But Father, in your great love, you've provided your Son to be our Redeemer, our Rescuer, our Deliverer. And it's through Jesus and the work that he did that the guilt of our sin can be washed away. But it's also the life that we have in Jesus. And it's the the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's you dwelling with us by your Spirit that gives us hope that we as a body of sinners redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus and declared to be saints can actually grow and change. We can be quick to confess sin to one another. We can be quick to forgive one another. We can be quick to have hope for the days ahead, not because of our own track record or what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done and what Jesus will do, what you will do by your Spirit in our midst. Father, there is hope for us today because you are present and you are at work in us and through us for our good and for your glory. And so, Father, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, use your word to make us a people that genuinely and truly treasures your church and treasures your gospel. We thank you for the way that you'll work in Jesus' name. Amen.